0: All lost so very much, so many loved ones gone, but you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea.
1: Steve with Sens coming at you once again with another kind of a book review. It's not a book like you sit at the end of the day, you know, day and start looking through it and say, Hey, hey, honey, have you ever heard this? No, this is a hymnal. It's the rebuff hymnal. And Jeff Ostrowski, uh, Ostrowski of the Catholic uh, watershed is here to help us with this. Jeff, good morning to you. How you doing? Thanks for coming on.
0: My pleasure. How are you? I'm
1: very well, very well, and very interested in this. Not only because of the name of the book, I'll, I'll go ahead and put it up on screen for everybody. The St. John Brebuff Hymnal Pew Edition. But yet the topic of chant in general. So
0: first off, did you find this to put this together? Um, I was part of a team. Um, and we, you know, priests and laymen. And we. this was a team of people who actually do this in real life it's not an academic uh it's not an you know kind of a project for an academic project this is for musicians and priests who actually work in the church mm-hmm. and actually stand in front of choirs in real life and and that's that's the 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 difference about this book is because um yeah it's 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 created by people who <laughs> who do this in real life.
1: and what you mean that it's kind of like an an orchestra that he's you're you're using your hands and you're directing the traffic basically, right?
0: Well, sure. I mean, if you you know if you have singers, um, you know you're teaching real singers from the parish. Mm-hmm. Um that's the difference about the people who created this book. That's very different from people who maybe want to direct a choir someday, or maybe sang in a choir for a year or two. Um, you know, that that's, a, that's a huge difference between people who actually stand and, and, and not only that, but people who, like myself, who, when they form the choir, they form the choir from the people in the parish, mm-hmm. not paid singers who aren't Catholic, or you know, some other, or or just a guy with a microphone up at the front, or something like that. These are real people from the parish who learn to sing, mm-hmm. and and that's you wouldn't think that would be the case. You wouldn't think that that would be a rare thing, but um, too many of these musical projects are done by people who have never stood in front of a choir, and um, boy, it's it's. <laughs> I mean it, it, it yeah, there's no substitute for experience, you know? Yeah.
1: And that whole blind leading the blind, you all fall in the pit type deal thing. yeah. So what does yeah. this that's
0: was? that's really what what makes the difference is the people that um were involved in this, my colleagues and and priests and and from all over the world really um came together and put this thing together. And um what's funny is some of them had their their notions changed. Their opinions changed in the course of the uh, in the course of the the book. Um, you know, arguments and 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 so forth um, really brought out something amazing. So,
1: so there's a lot of hymnals out there. So, what makes this one different from
0: all the others? Well, I mean, I think we we touched on it briefly in terms of. Uh, you know, it was created by people who actually do this in in the real world. But, um, another aspect is so many of these Catholic hymnals that are out there, even the so-called traditional Catholic hymnals that are out there are what I call reductive in the sense of, um, they'll take a Protestant book. They'll take a Protestant hymnal and, um, they'll, um, they'll just take out all the all the pieces they don't like, or all the pieces that conflict with Catholic theology. And then they'll whatever's left over, they'll, they'll call that the the, the hymnal, basically. Oh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still there. Oh, sorry, the, the picture changed on my end. Oh. Yeah, so that's the difference with this book is instead of just taking a Protestant book and just taking out all the bad stuff or that kind of deal. This is built on the catholic patrimony the catholic corpus of hymns and religious texts you know from the last 1500 years and that is what is the basis of this book and i don't know any book i would say in the last 80 years you'd have to go back 80 years probably to the new westminster hymnal to find something similar um although it certainly uh I mean, it makes sense from my perspective. I mean, it's a Catholic book, so why wouldn't you start with the Catholic Mm. hymns? I mean, we have the greatest musical treasures by far of any culture, so.
1: What would an average parish priest be looking for in a hymnal? And uh, maybe what should an average parish music director look for?
0: Well, one of the one of the nice things about this hymnal is because our, our priests are definitely, as you know, stretched really thin. Very They can't be (laughs) experts in absolutely everything. They can't be experts in Latin and poetry and theology and psychology and philosophy and sports and all these different things that they need to do their job. So one nice aspect of this book is that a priest can just give the, it's like 900 pages. Um, and it's, you can just give this to a musician mm-hmm. and say, you do whatever's in this book, whatever's in this book I know is good. It's not, it's not goofy. It's not heretical. It's not, you know, uh, schmaltzy or sugary or, you know, off Broadway. It's everything in this book is good, solid melodies, solid texts, solid theology. From the, Catholic, from the Catholic treasury. You, you, it's not Are rocket science. Me I mean, have... <laughs> Are you telling me
1: On Eagle's Wings is not in this book? What's that? Are you telling me On Eagle's Wings is not in this book?
0: No. No, it's not in there. I mean, but, but, you know, we have, if you look at the um, Latin hymns, for example, I mean, obviously the church has a Greek tradition as well, but just the Latin hymns. There was a priest named Dravez who was a Jesuit around the 19th century, I think. Dravez and Bloom put together a collection of all the Latin hymns that they could find. And the it's like a 60 volume set and it has more than 10,000 Catholic hymns in it. I mean, wouldn't we, wouldn't we want to start there with, with our, with our books? I mean, this is, again, it's not rocket science. The work's already been done, by for a large part. So, although we have to have translations of it Mm -hmm. and it has to be poetical and beautiful and, you know, you have to typeset it and and do all that. But I mean, um, yeah, that's 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 where we started. We started with the uh, the Catholic patrimony.
1: But you're right. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, uh, we should be the greatest. Uh, what's what's the word uh, when you start when you still steal ideas from other people? Uh, plagiarizers. We should be yeah. the greatest ones because everyone's already done it. We just have to do it ourselves, right?
0: Well, I mean, at the conservatory, they would. They would make fun of the church because they would say, you know, you guys had the greatest tradition. I mean, Guerrero and Palestrina and Victoria and Lassus and Macho and just all these great Catholic composers. And they all, even though they're atheists or they don't believe in God or whatever, they all have to study all this music because it's the greatest music. And so it was, it was, it was odd that these these secular professors at the conservatory. They had to know what the introit was for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost or the communion for the third Sunday after Easter or the Vespers antiphon for the, I don't know, second Sunday of Advent. They had to know all this even though they don't even believe in God, because this is where the great music comes from. This is where tonality comes from. This is where the ability to read music comes from. Catholics invented the, the ability to read music. Um, I mean, this is every, you have to know this. If you're studying music, whether you're Catholic or not, you have to know it. And so it was, it was sad because the church has become a bit of a lapping stock in the sense of, we had the greatest treasures. And then we threw it all away for some reason. And we do music, which now is really just goofy and, and, and poorly constructed and silly. And it sounds horrible. And it's written by people who lead immoral lives and who don't believe the teachings of the church so it's there's a lot of work to be done you
1: know. in my last uh novus Orta, uh, uh tritium they had a, a violin going on i'll never forget it like it was yesterday it was about 10 years ago and i told my mom if that lady plays the flute one more time i'm going
0: animal house on them up there uh so oh, they had and even during they had instruments and stuff during good friday
1: oh yeah well holy thursday good friday it's just just, yeah. they had it all you know they didn't care they just it felt good it was
0: wow we wanted to do because that's the one of course the one day that you're not allowed to have any instruments at all no matter what you yeah. know we
1: were uh the parish didn't really matter on i mean i know, I know one parish that sung happy
0: birthday at the end of mass yeah so. well and and that's that's i mean that's not really what this book deals right. with But you do have, you do have a situation where people who maybe love to play their instrument and, and no one wants to hear them play it, but at church, they have a captive audience. And so the priest says, Hey, if you're free, you know, you can come play your stuff here. And so they can't survive in any other environment. They can't find anyone who wants to pay to hear them play, but at church, it's a captive audience. And, and that's, that's a very, very sad thing. Um, you know, I mean, just because somebody thinks that they are great on an instrument that doesn't necessarily make it so, um, and Let's so, see. but again, the priest, like I say, if they, okay, you, you play music and you you'll do it for free. Okay. Sounds great to me. I mean, you know, that's the uh,
1: the old joke of, uh, yeah, grandma ever to everyone's grandma, you're a great singer, but the rest of the world, maybe not. you yeah. are a great instrument player. All right. So why was. The great North American martyr, uh, Father Bebeuf, St. John
0: Bebeuf. Why was he picked as the title for this? Yeah, so, Jean, Jean. I guess it depends where you are. In Canada, they they, they talk about Father Jean de Brebeuf. Mm. And then in, in in United States, we say Father John Brebeuf, you know, however you pronounce it. Yeah. They claim him, of course, as the Canadian martyr and we claim, him, we claim them as the United States martyrs. Uh, but Jean de Brebeuf and, and Isaac Jogue and all the rest of those wonderful martyrs came here from France. They came to America, they came to Canada and New York state and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's probably number one aspect is that these martyrs came here to evangelize America. And we certainly want the book by Sophia Press to evangelize and change the situation. So that's one aspect of it. Second of all, though, Father Brebeuf, he didn't intend for this to happen, um, but he became a translator. Mm -hmm. Um, What I'm, he didn't actually, he he was so humble, he didn't even want to be made a priest, but his superiors prevailed upon him to seek the priesthood. And so he became a priest. And then he became a missionary and came here and he never thought of himself as a linguist certainly not but he ended up becoming a great linguist and and for hundreds of years people used the dictionaries that he created mm-hmm. for the native american languages huron algonquin um iroquois mm-hmm. you know all these different languages he he created uh dictionaries so that that he could talk to the to the people here and he also was constantly writing back to his superiors in France and asking them how he could translate some of these concepts. The native Americans didn't have words that we have. They had no word for God. So for instance, they would they would have to find a circumlocution. So in other words, they would say him who made all, or him who knows all or something like that. And so Jean de Brebeuf ended up being a theologian and a translator. And he never thought he would be. And so with this book, uh, the Saint Jean de Brebeuf Hymnal, a a good deal of the work was to translate these Latin hymns into English in a way which respected the theology, but was also beautiful and poetic. And so that was a real connection between what Jean de Brebeuf was doing and what we were trying to do, because, you know, language changes. Mm -hmm. There, there are certain words that that were very common 200 years ago, that you can't use today, because the meaning has changed. And if you used it today, everyone would be kind of giggling in the pews. Uh-huh. And so but the problem is, is that sometimes if you take if you change one word in a hymn, the whole thing changes, it's a poem, like, for example, most good poets will not use a rhyme more than once, okay. So you have to be careful you have to have experts in the field and I'm a musician I don't I didn't do any of this but you have to have experts in the field who know Latin fluently not just not just know there's a difference between knowing Latin fluently and being able to to get through something with a Latin English dictionary that's very different mm-hmm. so we had to find priests who were fluent in Latin and who who knew the the classical traditions of Latin and could like I say, speak and write poetry in Latin and so forth. Um, so, so that was that was a similarity with Father Brubuff, and of course, Father Brubuff suffered so much. What they did to him was terrible and savage. And musicians who try to be faithful, um, musicians suffer a great deal um, in the current environment, and so that's another connection. But. Can I, can I give you one more connection to yeah. Father Brebeuf?
1: Yeah, go for it, please.
0: Father Brebeuf and Father Isaac Jogue uh, from Canada, in America we often say his name Isaac Jogues.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However you say it, Isaac Jogues or Isaac Jogue, uh, he was the one who had his fingers bitten off by the Native Americans mm-hmm. along with other priests. He was not the only priest who had his fingers bitten off Francois Bressani and many others had, had their fingers burned off as well. But Father Isaac Jogues had, he had to have the Queen of France ask permission of the Pope at that time, Pope Urban VIII, to say Mass because the Mass rubrics presume that the priest has all of his fingers, okay? Mm-hmm. And that Pope was the one who actually changed all of the hymns in the entire church. Um, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I can give you a pop quiz. I mean, are you are you aware of the fact that there was a Pope who changed every single hymn in the church? Not until about 30 seconds ago. Now I can say yes. Yeah, yeah he he, 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 um, he was a humanist and he thought he was a poet, actually. He, he thought he was a really great poet and he actually did. He had a commission of, of priests, four priests who helped him but in fact, it seems that he actually did most of the changes himself because he was a poet. Um, so he changed all of the hymns in the church with a few exceptions. He left Ave Maristella alone and he left the the hymns of St. Thomas Aquinas alone, Mm -hmm. but all of the others he changed. And sometimes he only left one or two words from the original hymn in them. Okay. And that year that he did that 1630, was the same year that all of this was going on with Father Brebeuf, Father Isaac Jogues, Father Jean de Lalande, Father Charles Garnier and all of the missionaries that were that were evangelizing America that was the same year. So the same Pope who gave Isaac Jogue's permission to say Mass was also the same Pope who changed all the hymns of the church. And that was only recently corrected. so it's there's there's all these interesting that was probably more than you wanted to know, but no, that was good. No, I had no idea because, I mean, I, I
1: figured there was something that was going on between sixteen and sixteen thirty-two with the connection with Babuff and the hymnal. So I guess that was it.
0: That's that's definitely part of it, um, and and you know you the, the the priests of course were 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 gone for years at a time they were in captivity and so they talk about for example one of the one of Brebeuf's uh, colleagues was saint antoine daniel mm-hmm. who taught the the hurons how to the faith the the he taught them the faith by having them sing in their own language okay and most people don't realize that the, that the hurons had permission to sing the mass in their own language most people don't realize that that was that was the fact. There's even Gregorian chant books of Iroquois and Mohawk and Huron and Algonquin. So Gregorian chant, but in the native's language from the 19th century. Um, very few people realize that that happened. But but so, to getting back to Saint Antoine Daniel, you know, when he came back after being left in the forest for months at a time, they talked about how his breviary was hanging around his neck because that was the only thing he needed. He, his, his clothes were tattered and his breviary was obviously what he needed to say the divine office every day. And you have to wonder which breviary was that? Was that in fact the reformed breviary of Urban the Eighth? Or was it the traditional breviary that had existed for 1,500, well, 1,200 years by that time? Uh, Because again, that was the year 1629, 1630, 1631, when the all the hymns were changed, and of course the the, the Jesuits take a special vow to the Pope, a special yeah. vow of obedience to the Pope, and so they I think they would have adopted the uh, the new hymns, if you will. Although some people refused to adopt the new hymns, even in Rome, the the major basilicas never adopted the 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 changed hymns, and 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 indeed all the religious orders that sang the Divine Office, they never adopted the urbanite hymns, which, you know, is interesting.
1: Well, if they were already in the North American continent, they probably wouldn't have known about that for a few years after, right?
0: Well, well, the the problem of course, is that they kept being sent back because when, when England kept conquering, uh, Canada, they would have to, they were exiled, so they'd have to go all the way back to France and then go all the way back to the new world and then come back. uh, Several of them were exiled two or three times uh, you know, cause Canada kept switching hands between England and France. And, um, actually St. Antoine Daniel, his brother was a captain, a sea captain, and he helped to conquer parts of Canada. You know, these treaties would be signed, but as a matter of fact, how can I put this, the uh, 2000 miles away, they wouldn't realize that there'd been a peace treaty. Um, it's kind of like that, that hero of American, you know, Andrew Jackson, the, 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 the president, Andrew Jackson.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: He, 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 he did a famous battle, right. Where he, you know, he killed a bunch of people and, and won the battle. As uh-huh. a matter of fact, that battle was illegal because there had already been a peace, a peace treaty signed, but you know, it takes a long time for those treaties to <laughs> the, get 2000 miles across the ocean. Yeah. Hey, the
1: word's over, but we're going to keep fighting because we don't have internet at the
0: time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's just one of those. uh, So, so in that, we don't know whether they had the new hymns or not because they were being sent back sometimes, um, you know, and, and there was a lot of, there was a lot of politics going on at that time, actually, Cardinal Richelieu and some of those people um, were fighting for possession of the, of, of the lands. And so the Franciscans were also exiled as well um some of the some of the tunes in this book are actually named after some of the franciscans as well because the franciscan recollets were the first ones to america and they welcomed the jesuits of course because they were happy to have anybody they could help them
1: you know so there's color plates in the book i don't have it to be able to show anybody that but trust me there are what is the uh... Why is that? Is this just basically for the edu- education, kind of like uh, stained glass, for example?
0: <laughs> yeah, I wish yeah. I had a copy with me. I, I, I think I mentioned to you, my wife and I are celebrating our 15th wedding anniversary. So we're actually on a trip right now. But I have, I have the book at home. I use it constantly for my parish. I have about 45 singers. I use it every single second. It's so important to my music program. Uh, teaching, you know, volunteer choirs and stuff. So I have the book at home, but I don't have it with me because we are on this anniversary trip. Um, but the the color plates. Why is it
1: hanging around your neck?
0: No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, airport security. Um, <laughs> the color plates are important because they show the history of vernacular uh, hymnody in the Catholic Church this many, many Catholics, if you if you talk to them about hymns, they'll say, Well, that's not traditional, you know, Catholics never sang hymns. And we can't have hymns at at mass, because that's just not what the mass is all about. And that's just not the case. Um, And so this book shows shows examples of hymns in Latin and the vernacular languages going back a 1000 years. I mean, the, 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 the ancient hymns were translated into Anglo Saxon. Mm-hmm. in 1053 I mean that's a thousand years ago and it's beautiful they'll have the Latin underneath and then they'll have the Anglo-Saxon above of course English wasn't around back then English hadn't been invented yet but um, and the book also this st. Jean de of hymnal which Sophia Press is publishing with beautiful beautiful paper and everything it it has um, it it discovered a quote by someone who was remember when england fell away because of henry the eighth england england fell to the protestants right Mm -hmm. um i want to say about about 1535 thereabouts um there were still people who who were catholic in england and so people were producing books in latin and english for england but not for the protestants for the catholics Mm -hmm. And these were mainly produced in France. Okay. Well, there's a quote in there, and this is in the color pages as well, That you you mentioned the color pages, this is included in there. One of the Catholic publishers talks about the fact that he translated them into English in such a way that they can be sung to the same melody in Latin. And so that is proof that the Catholics were singing vernacular hymnody uh even uh, this would have been 1599 mm-hmm. so maybe i don't know 70 years or 60 years after the uh you know henry the uh, eighth fell away from the church and took england into protestantism uh-huh. and so that is that is a really important quote because most people don't realize that 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 that, that our church has a marvelous catholic tradition of hymnody and i cannot believe that this is the first book that actually takes advantage of this patrimony of, of thousands and thousands of Latin ancient hymns. It's 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 a remarkable thing. But translates them into English mm-hmm. so that you know people can. Um, I mean, there's some Latin in there, obviously, but it's mainly English um, because most parishes. I mean, that's that's what's expected in in most of the parishes these days. I was talking to a
1: couple of priests about this. We mentioned it off camera about I'm reading and he's he gets you all built up excited, like after during uh, Advent, gets into Christmas, goes sing the glory in the Chelsea's. Belt mm-hmm. he said he, he mentions have the walls rumble. Uh, even with Lent going into Easter. You know, he basically busts out that credo, sing that hallelujah. Even when you read in and I think it was in the uh, Easter visual, he goes, some corda. I- should the lady sing, and I'm not talking about charismaniacs going around, you know, dancing around like this, but sing in the sense of enthusiasm and respect and love with excitement for the feast that is going on that day.
0: Oh, I, I absolutely. And again, um, you know, in our culture, I mean, music is one of those things that has been basically lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, music is not valued especially for men, uh, the idea that, that, that you would sing is not something, which is at least when I was growing up, uh, generally, uh, you know, that, that they'd say that's what girls do, you know? And so, but you have to give people something dignified and worthy to sing. Mm-hmm. You can't give them this off Broadway stuff and this really goofy, goofy, silly stuff. You've got to give them something good to sing. And you mentioned Dom Garanger. And obviously, he had a a, a real uh, a real role in the restoration of of, of plain song and other other uh, other things. But I think also people have we have to find a balance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we mentioned yeah, you off camera we were we were talking about the fact that before uh, the, the 60s basically there were no rubrics at all for the people, none. Mm-hmm and they, they in fact they often sang other things that had nothing to do with mass so mass would be going on even the sermon even the credo i'm sorry not the sermon but the gospel reading the epistle the blessing the, cre- the consecration and mass is going on quietly and then they're singing something completely different that was what was happening before the council and then we went to the opposite extreme and it was, it, was, it was as if they're micromanaging the congregation and say, okay, now so everybody sit up. Okay, okay, sit down, kneel. Okay, fold your hands. Okay, pray this. Okay, say that. And that's not good either. You don't want to be micromanaging the congregation because everybody's different. Mm-hmm. People pray differently. You know, people who have, you know, a triple doctorate are going to pray different than people who don't have much education or who are elderly versus the young. Everybody prays differently. And that's what Pius the Twelfth. Pope Pope Pius XII often spoke about in his documents. He said, You cannot expect every single Catholic to pray exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I would suggest to you it has to be a balance. Excuse me, the congregation should sing certain pieces and they should sing properly and it should be a dignified melody. It shouldn't be this goofy stuff or this silly stuff. And then also there are times when only the priest sings, or only the deacon sings, or only the choir sings, or only the cantor sings. And that's always been the way it is. And there's even a practical aspect of it. You know, the voice, you can only sing so much. And so when when you know the mass was always sung, um, the monks would always go back and forth. You'd have antiphonal singing. So one half would sing one part of the credo, then the other half would respond. So it really is a question of, of balance. Um, I'm not going to get anybody in trouble cause I don't want to say anything bad, but there was a, a, a religious order that would ha- that would have their people come to Vespers, but they wouldn't allow them to sing anything. And if somebody started singing, they would turn around in their, in their pew and say, stop singing. That is not Catholic. Mm-hmm. the people always took part in vespers they sang at least at least the hymn or at least some of the psalmody um so you know again people are confused and there's a lot of work to be done and it's an, it's an exciting time for musicians because there's just so much work to be done you know
1: i remember one of the first sermons i heard was in the what well, i heard but at, you know at a traditional mass uh, um, i was in Dayton ohio holy family and father made a killer point i thought of challenging the laity to learn the chants of the church. And I'm sitting there listening going, that makes, huh? that makes complete sense. I don't know what's ever told me. I should learn our own chants. Yeah. Uh, you got videos out there. You got the CC Water set. Uh, how, you know, even the Marian hymns. How's a good way for people to start learning the chants itself?
0: Well, you, you need, uh, I would say, I mean, it, it can be done by yourself or especially a lot of people are doing homeschooling now Uh um i don't know about you and your family but a lot of people are doing homeschooling um which was extremely uncool by the way about 30 years ago (laughs) and now yeah it's 30 percent increase in the last two, two a year and a half two years because of covid now everybody's you know it's not the the stigma is gone but yeah Anyway, um, so you know, people can learn it. CC Watershed is great for homeschool families. Obviously we've produced thousands and thousands of videos. That's another thing about this book is that there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of videos for free online that teach you how to sing the hymns in parts.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So, so that's, you can learn by yourself, especially with Watershed, and especially if you're homeschooling and stuff. But at the same time, Steve, you, you need a good musician to be the, the parish director and And that's something which which needs to be addressed. Um, and priests need to understand what they're supposed to be hiring and and they need to they need to be able to pay a person who is living a moral life and who has a family and they need to to support that person monetarily otherwise they won't be able to be a good musician. and it's a lot of work as a, as a music director now you have to be more than just a, someone who can play the piano, you have to be a psychologist, and you have to be, you know, a pep talker, and all these different things. Uh, you know, you have to you have to do a lot because music is not valued by our society. Um, it's just not. And and I could get into that another another time. But um, if you have a good musician who's who's leading the parish, and this the breb of hymnal would be a great start for that because. The melodies are so simple. They're dignified, but they're simple. Mm-hmm. And you could get uh, that's that's part of the program. But you also, as you said, you want to sing the ordinary. You want to sing polyphony. You want to sing chant. You want to sing, you know, you want to use accompanied plain song, unaccompanied plain song. Um, there's medieval music. There's uh, modern music. There's contemporary music. There's classical music. There's baroque music. There's so much that could be done. But I think I think I think you have to have a good music director at the church.
1: But just like anything else, by the way, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. But if you have, if you have a bad coach, it's just not, you're not going to have a good team. So yeah, you got to, you got to have somebody with the, I want to say not the gumption, but the, will it, just like St. Tom, I become a saint. Will it? All right. How you do everything else. Why shouldn't we just put our best foot forward for every part? The whole problem with the, when people condemn us for, oh, you guys do too many expensive things in the mask. Well, it's for God, right? So we put our best.
0: Before. so why not have a good choir well and and the choir director also has to know what sounds good right because that's another I would say that's the major problem that we have today the you know music takes I, I've been studying music since I was six years old I mean it takes much I mean you're, the parents have to support it they have to buy instruments they have to pay for lessons they have to buy music they have to buy books it takes training to know what is, what sounds good and what doesn't. And that's, I would say the biggest problem that, that I see in in Catholic music, the people don't know who are directing. They don't know what sounds good or how to make it sound good or better. They don't know. And, and part of that is just you have to record your choir and you have to listen to it and see what it actually sounds like. That sounds weird. I know to say that, but you have to listen to what you're producing so you can tell if it's good or not. And that's a very difficult thing to do. It's better just to not even, just to say, I just to not even go there because once you start listening to yourself, oh man, I mean, you, then you become really critical. Um, but it's, as I say, it's easier not even to do that. But if you have the, the courage to to record what you guys are doing or your own singing, for example, if you record your own singing and play it back, you're gonna get, you're gonna get a surprise. You know, so that that's that's part of it. But yeah, the and the coach. You brought up the, the fact that the coach. Uh, what did you say? You have to, you have to have a good coach.
1: Yeah, you have to have a good coach for have to have a good for your team too. It's just like a military. You have a a good uh, general or you know commander of the
0: platoon, or your your guy's are gonna get killed. It's
1: the leadership aspect of it.
0: Well, the, the coach the coach aspect is interesting because in the school, for example, there's only two people who have to show what they do every day. Mm -hmm. the coach and the musician Mm -hmm. the musician has to produce he has to take people who don't have any musical training and he has to have a concert and everybody can see if it's horrible or not Mm -hmm. and the coach is the same way if they if they just mess around out there all day people are gonna see that because they're gonna see them in games Mm -hmm. and that's not the same as as all the other subjects math English whatever the other subjects are they're behind closed doors. They never have to bring them out and, and 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 perform in front of actual people. So the coach and the musician are related in a way that people might not realize. So. Yeah, you'll never see
1: a co a good team with a coach that says, "Do whatever you guys want today, and uh, we'll figure it out when come game day." No, no, he's in control, and it's, it's on him. He owns everything on there. Good defense, bad defense. Bad pitching move, bad pull out, bad everything.
0: So, well, people because the people are going to see that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess in COVID, they that nobody was allowed to go to the to the games, but otherwise, people you know yeah. see oh, what, what what's <laughs> produced.
1: So, you guys ha- you you run the Corpus Christi Watershed. Uh, you guys have a symposium coming out uh, every year, but this one's in June. Can mm-hmm. you explain? Can you tell them a little bit about this?
0: Yes, we. I came here as the musician for a priest and a fraternity of St. Peter. And we started a parish with the traditional Latin mass in the diocese of Los Angeles, um, which years ago had a Bishop who was a lot of trouble, but then they replaced that Bishop with, with, uh, a, a Bishop who's much better. And, and so that the new Bishop wanted to have the Latin mass in Los Angeles. And so that's what we've been working on. And so one of the things that we did was to start this uh, symposium that we have every year, although we had an interruption during COVID because Los Angeles was, um,
1: ground zero for nut chowpery. What's that? (laughs) Ground zero for a clown planet.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, are you, are you familiar with what? what Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We weren't allowed to go outside. We weren't allowed to go to the park. We weren't allowed to go to the beach it was, it was, it was really locked down. I mean, it was just nuts. I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. We had curfews and stuff like that. I mean, I mean, they, they, anyway, that's another story. But so we had to take a, a, we had an interruption when, when the government was shutting everything down. Um, But, but we're back now. Um, And so, um, yeah, we have these great presenters from all over who are, experts in their field from Juilliard and who are the the conductors at cathedrals in the, you know, in the church and so forth. And, um, you know, we, we bring in people from all over the world. People fly in for this and, and, and they, they sing great music and they learn about how to work with volunteer choirs. And, um, it's, it's really a great conference.
1: And it mentions this year's theme, how to stand in front of a volunteer choir without fear.
0: Yeah. (laughs) the first the first time we said how to how to stand in front of a volunteer choir and live to tell about it (laughs) but they didn't they didn't like that they they said that was a little bit confusing so they they changed it to what it is now but it's it's I'll tell you it's it's hard to to stand in front of a volunteer choir you know and to to produce because these you know the people have no training and so you have to find out how to train them and you don't want to you don't want to be up there and sound horrible either so it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot harder than people realize. I bet. I bet. (laughs) I mean, I was, I grew up as a concert pianist, so I played, you know, concerts all over the place, long concerts. I mean, we're talking 40, 45 minutes by memory, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of notes, but that's different than having to teach Mm -hmm. people who have never sung before. Yeah. That's a different. That's a different thing. Like in some ways, it was easier when you're just doing it by yourself and you're, you know, you're playing everything by yourself. Um, yeah. Than you know, to you know, work do. with people who, you know, are great people, but they've never, they haven't had years and years of training. So yeah, because
1: well. you're confident in yourself, you know you can do it, and you're you're working with guys that probably, like you said, never done it, and you got one day a week to practice.
0: Yeah. Now they love the music though. That makes it a lot easier. They love the music and. You know, it, it 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 works out, but you just have to know how to do it. You have to know how to do it. There there actually is an art to teaching, um, and and you know that's that's what I found out. I mean, again, it's one thing to learn music by yourself in a little practice room, but there actually is an art to teaching volunteers, and it's yeah, it helps because they love the music so much, um, yeah. So.
1: Say speaking of that topic, say you got a choir leader. And they can't make it out to symposium or anything like that, or watch it, but they're really wanting to learn how to become better. Can they contact
0: you on the website? Um, they can. Um, we actually get a lot of mail. Ah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm obviously I'm I'm a married man. I have children. Uh, you have, you have know, a life. The, I, I work at the at the parish, yeah. and then we do the watershed stuff, and then I've, I've been also doing stuff with Sophia. And so probably the best opportunity is the symposium yeah. uh, because we're all there for the express purpose of teaching everybody whatever they want to know, which is kind of crazy that we're giving away, like, these secrets that we've spent our life learning, but... <laughs> we're willing to do that. But over inter- over the e- email, it's a little bit difficult just because, you know, I'm really busy and all of our contributors are really busy, especially after COVID. I mean, COVID was the worst thing that could possibly happen to musicians. And so a lot of our contributors have not been blogging very much mm-hmm. because we've been in survival mode with the COVID stuff, so. And
1: maybe that someone's parish could help uh... Fly them out there for the symposium.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's you, you got these parishes. You know, these parishes will pay five, six, seven million dollars for a new organ, mm-hmm. but I mean, they can afford you know a three hundred dollar ticket. I think uh, they they can afford that. Final thoughts on the uh, the hymnal. Final thoughts on the hymnal. I couldn't live without it. It makes my life as a musician so much so much easier. Um, because you can't sing just polyphony all the time or just plain song all the time. You need um you know, you need variety when when you're working with you know musicians who have never sung before. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I love the hymnal, is because it has it has such variety in it and it's beautiful. The, the, The 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 harmonies are beautiful. And the melodies are beautiful and the texts are beautiful and the theology is beautiful. And what's amazing is this book also does, for the first time in history, it writes out all of the hymns, all of the verses underneath the music. And that's something which is absolutely essential, even though you would think that that would be, um, like you would think that that, that's not some kind of breakthrough, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, writing out the music underneath the the, the text underneath the notes—how is that a breakthrough? And yet, it's never been done. So, I mean, you have to understand. I, I, have you ever been to England? No, no. Sorry, I haven't been across
1: the pond yet.
0: Well, I, I will be able have to been, <laughs> They have a really—they have a really nice choral tradition in England,
1: yeah.
0: and a lot of people know how to sing. And and the Protestants—they um, took of all of our stuff. You know, they took all our cathedrals and they took all of our monasteries and stuff and so they have endowments over there they they took everything that we had as the catholic church they stole it all right. and and they have endowments even to this day where they paid the singers um, a lot of whom don't even believe in god but they they pay them to sing the anglican ser- uh, ser- services mm-hmm. the state sponsors it too so they have a good they have a good they have a good um tradition over there of choral singing but if you look in england they often have the text on one page, mm-hmm. no music, and then they'll have the harmonies on another page. And sometimes they'll even have the text on one page, and they'll have the harmonies or the tune in another book. So you have to have like two books in your hand. Hmm. Now, I don't know what your musical training is, but does does that make sense to you that, no, that they would do no, that? No, no. No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, especially people who've never sung before yeah and and what it really means is well, people don't people get mad when I say this but like I say I've been at this a long long time I've been you know I've studied music with great teachers so I'm gonna say it anyway I don't care if it makes them mad
1: you're in the no-fear zone here
0: <laughs> well here, here's what makes them mad that the reality is is that these people have been singing the same hymns since they were little okay mm-hmm. And and they grow up with them, and they sing them over and over and over again. So a, lot a lot of the Protestant Protestant ceremonies, they don't have any liturgy. They just have a hymn, and then a sermon, and then a hymn. And so they sing the same hymn a billion. So there is something that most uh, traditional Catholics, or any Catholics, all Catholics, really might not realize is that until about the '60s. Um, most catholics did not receive holy communion at mass and one reason of course is because you know you had the midnight fast so you know to receive holy communion you have to be fasting at that time from from all water you know water food since midnight and so most catholics did not receive holy communion at mass if you look at the old bulletins from the 30s and 40s and so forth um Holy Communion, even on Easter Sunday, would be given. For example, would be distributed at six thirty in the morning on Easter Sunday, and then later on, Mass would happen. And this is something which is, um, I mean, in theory, it was always allowed. In theory, it was always possible for a man to present himself for Holy Communion at Mass, but it just it was it was it was very rarely done. And not only that, Holy Communion was often given during Mass. In other words, while Mass is going on, another priest would go up to the altar and go into the tabernacle and distribute Holy Communion while Mass is going on, which actually saved a lot of time. (laughs) Um, Or Mass would be given after, I'm sorry, Holy Communion would be given after Mass, Mm before mass or outside of mass and so this this is the reality that 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 happened and in 1961 there was a rubric added to the missal which said look we want you to try to give holy communion at the proper time and we are declaring that the proper time is after the priest receives holy communion and they tell the priest specifically how to distribute holy communion and this is the the 1961 rubrics um, that took, took effect on January 1st, 1961. But even, even in 1961, they still said, you know, of course, you know, uh, for necessity, you can give Holy communion outside of mass during mass and so forth. But they, they really tried to clamp down. They said it is very unbecoming to have a priest interrupt mass and go into the tabernacle while the other priest is saying mass at the high altar. And so why am I talking about any of this? Why does this matter for Catholics? It's important to realize that if Holy Communion was not given during Mass, it was given outside of Mass. And it seems to me that they would often sing hymns during the distribution of Holy Communion. Um, And then when you now, ever since 1961, when that rubric was placed in, and, and also the fasting laws are different now, we don't have the midnight fast. Now you can only fast for an hour. And then you can even drink water and water does not break your fast now under canon law. Mm-hmm. And so most people receive Holy Communion during Mass. We've we've imported that ceremony into Mass. Um, but that's a lot of time. I mean, at our church, we have 1,400 people who come to Mass every, every week. 1,400 people, you know, receiving holy communion that takes time (laughs) so all of a sudden we have now 15 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes added to mass and so it's it's a good time honestly to sing hymns during the distribution of holy communion but we can't really talk about whether that's what was done in the olden days because people especially at high mass especially at high mass the people did not receive holy communion normally It was always in theory possible and so the book you know it has so many great hymns that can be used for for communion and so that's a development you know we have to we have to adapt to how the church is now and most priests uh you know i never i never went to a mass where holy communion was not given to the people except during COVID. that was the first time i'd ever i'd ever been to a mass that the priest did not give holy communion to the people. And that was that was the norm back in the day. So yeah. that, that's another reason why this is a very good book for extraordinary form parishes, for ordinary form parishes. Um, because the simple reality is traditional priests have adopted giving holy communion. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you agree that most priests give holy communion during Mass now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after the priest receives holy communion, right? right, you, right, don't, right. right. Yeah, you, yeah. you don't you don't see people going up during the epistle the gospel to receive holy communion which is (laughs) (laughs) well and and which is again i mean we could talk more about the things that happened in the past we don't have time now but i mean the, the reality is you know we were talking during covid um you know we we could be really traditional and we could give because we had so many problems during covid with all the things that we had to do and stuff someone was saying we could give holy communion in in the in the chapel and then not during mass because then we could have more masses or whatever because of the COVID. And what's funny is that would be the actual traditional way to do it. But people would go nuts. I mean, people would go crazy. They would think that you're doing something that's, you know, never been done before. But so anyway, it's, it's, it's one of the most interesting things. And the reason, you know, I discovered this along with other people is because I was looking at a book from 1957 and they were basically telling the priest how to distribute Holy Communion during Mass, as if no one had ever done this before. And they were saying, okay, now you take the stole over here. And they're like, and if there's more than one priest, a priest, another priest can be allowed to give Holy Communion over here. And they tell everything that you do. And, of course, that also gets into the whole, you've probably heard about the big fight that everybody has about whether you have three confitiers during Mass.
1: I haven't heard of three one. I just know two, but I didn't know about three. Well,
0: you, ha- you, have, you have two at the beginning. Right, yeah. the priest and the and the server, okay. Yeah. And then the question is that would be the third. Okay, do yeah. okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. one before the the communion, and of course the whole reason that's there is because that that was imported when when you give holy communion to to someone who's sick, you say the Our Father and you and you have the Confidier. and that goes back many centuries. That is a very very old rite, giving holy communion to the sick. Uh And so they brought that into the mass when they started, when Pius X was basically the one who said people should receive Holy Communion more frequently, right? Uh Pius X was called the Pope of the Eucharist, right? Right, right, right. right. And he brought the Eucharist before confirmation. Uh He, 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 he brought the Holy Eucharist before, before confirmation. And, you know, saints have had different, some saints say you should receive Holy Communion very rarely. Uh Some saints say you should receive Holy Communion very frequently. Uh I don't know the answer. I mean, I think I think one of the problems is that because now everybody receives Holy Communion all the time there's no thought to any preparation Mm -hmm. for it so but regardless of the fact if you started doing the traditional way (laughs) if you started you know having Holy Communion at at, at six o'clock in the morning on Easter Sunday and then not having communion during Mass I mean you would be in huge trouble but that's the way it always was and Anyway, it, that that but now that we're importing this, like I say, the third confiteor was imported as well. Um, you need something to sing during that time, mm-hmm. because mass is different now. It lasts about twenty-five minutes longer, depending on how many people go to go to receive holy communion. So anyway, these are these are these are great hymns for that um, a situation that didn't didn't exist a hundred years ago. So in time since they're little, and so it's not an issue for them to sing from a different book or a different page because they've been singing this song since they were two years old. But see, that's, that's not, <laughs> that that's not a good system because what if you didn't sing that song a hundred million times since you're little? And what if you want to sing a new song? <laughs> Let's say you want to sing a new, a new song. See that, that. So that's why this, this book writes out the music underneath, the the choral what's called the choral supplement it writes out all of the notes underneath the word so that people can sing the stuff even if they haven't sung it since they were tiny babies no
1: totally understand but everyone you probably understand that jeff knows what he's talking about he holds a bm and music theory from Rock chalk Jayhawk the the national champions of this year, which I didn't see, but I just know they are he went to University of Kansas in two
0: thousand four if you don't know what I'm talking about. but yeah, that's right he Naismith invented basketball the the person that uh, we had Naismith Hall and at KU yeah. and he was the one who invented basketball.